This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your host, Nabil Mahmood from Kona, Hawaii. This is your co-host, Philip Goblins from Montclair, New Jersey. And hey, this is TJ Ciccone. I'm the Vice President of Operations for Stack Infrastructure. I live in Northern Virginia, and in my spare time, I'm also an adjunct professor at Northern Virginia Community College, where I teach the E&E 195 Introduction to Data Center Operations course. TJ, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. That was actually a great introduction, one of the best ones we have heard thus far. Anything that has professor in it is always a good introduction. I mean, I mean, you, I mean you always want to, you, you have that at the end and it's like, oh, oh, by the way, I'm also an adjunct professor. <laughs> Side note, I'm kind of a big deal. Exactly. <laughs> well, he is. So let's get to know you a little bit more. Like, how did you get sure. involved in the data center industry? Where did you start and how did you end up in the data center space? So it's funny, I get that question all the time. When I get out of high school, I went into the military and like a lot of people in the data center business, I was a Navy nuclear yeah. engineer. And for many of the stories, I was a nuke. And when I got out, I went right in. And actually what a lot of people don't know about me is when I got out, I spent 10 years in the retail industry. So I, when I got out, I took a job making $5 and 65 cents an hour working the overnight shift at a little gas company called Crown Petroleum. I was also the equipment engineer for Embassy Suites during the day, which by the way, best time to get free hotel rooms was, was way back then when you were working for hotels because they'd let you stay for free. I was there for a little over a year and was going to go into civilian nuclear power. And I went to a job fair and one of the recruiters at the job fair was with Wawa. So being from New Jersey, you're, I'm sure, very far. Oh, I love, I love, I love, well, not only am I from New Jersey, I also went to college in Philly. So Wawa was a staple of my uh, uh, everyday life. Excellent. Right. So I gave her a resume kind of like on a whim and she told her part of those with her said, hey, hold on, I want to interview this person right now. I interviewed on the spot and two weeks later, I was working at Wawa and I was there for almost seven years. Great outfit. I got my degree working for them. Also in Malvern, PA, I went to Immaculata. And when I graduated, one of my regular customers was a district manager for Target and asked me to, if I wanted to go work at Target, pulled me away from Wawa, which I'm sure since you're a fan of Wawa, that that's absolutely crazy. But I thought maybe going to big box would be the right move. Went to Target. Was it a huge fan of Target? I mean, they're a great organization, of course, but just... And the record said that TJ does not like Target. <laughs> Maybe we edit that part out. <laughs> so, but I didn't want to be get out of retail. And I went to take, I studied an entire summer for the LSAT exam, took the LSAT and was actually granted a scholarship to law school in, at Widener. So I was, I was actually on my way to Widener. And while I'm driving there, I got a phone call from a buddy of mine who's still one of my best friends in the world. His name is, his name is Chris. And he was the regional manager for the Northeast for digital realty at the time. And he said, Hey, you know, how would you like to work in a data center? And my first question, like most people, especially back in the early 2000s was what's a data center. And after he told me about it, I got so excited. I turned off the PA turnpike and instead of headed towards Philly, I got on the Jersey turnpike and headed right up to Piscataway where their site was at the time. And I was walking around with the chief engineer and he's pointing out various pieces of equipment to me, kind of testing my knowledge to see if I knew what it was. So he'd point at a UPS and say, hey, you know what this is? And I'd say no. And then he pointed at a chiller and say, hey, you know what this thing does? And I'd say no. 
And we went up on the roof and even like a simple exhaust fan, I had no idea what it was. These little Darth Vader helmet, you know, the green heck exhaust fans. And he says, well, you did terrible technically, but the boss likes you. So we're going to hire you. You got to meet with the union president on Monday. <laughs> so I ended up driving back. And so I lived in PA. I lived outside of Reading, Pennsylvania, and the site was a hundred miles away, but I really loved what I saw and said, you know what, it's going to be a long drive. And for those of you who live in New Jersey, know that it's a lot of tolls as well, but I was, I was bound to determine to, to be successful there. So I went there as an engineering tech, just, it was a union tech job. I loved it, loved the team I worked with. And after I was there for two and a half years or so, that guy, Chris, he left digital and went to Raging Wire. And uh, after about a year, he called me and said, hey, I got a job for you at Raging Wire. I need you to move to Virginia. And at first I thought, no way, you know, I'd have to move, relocate the whole thing. And when I went to meet with them, the COO of the time at Raging Wire, he came into the meeting where I was being interviewed. And he handed me a blank sheet of paper and said, this is our current commissioning process at Raging Wire. Can you turn this into the gold standard for commissioning? And I just looked at him and I said, yes, I can. And he said, all right, you're hired. And so I moved, picked up my whole family, moved to Virginia. And that's how I- Just to be clear, a blank piece of paper is what lured you out of beautiful Piscataway, New Jersey. It's only a blank piece of paper. <laughs> that, maybe, maybe the author is pretty good too. <laughs> I mean, it was just exciting you know, to do something new. So I moved to Virginia and that's how I kind of got to data center alley. I was there for a couple of years. And as you know, Raging Wire had gotten acquired by NTT. And at the time, same guy, Chris, he left Raging Wire and went to AWS. And when he went there, he asked me to follow him there as well. So I did. So in my first seven years in the industry, even though I worked at three different data centers, I worked for the same person. And it's really just a testament to great leadership and you know, in this, in this industry, you hear a lot about people who love it and don't love it, you know, or have a great experience and those who don't. And, and almost 99% of the time I can attribute that to whoever their direct supervisor is. Yeah. You know, what's, what's, what's amazing about that story is you never really hear about the human connection when it comes to, you know, our industry. Right. And, you know, it's, it, it's amazing when you hear one of these stories and you recognize how important the relationships that you build or that you, you know, maybe you're just, you know, being nice or, 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 you know, have an initial conversation or, or something friendly, but when you fast forward and you see how like integral those relationships could potentially be to the future of your career, where, you know, whoever you're working with becomes, you know, someone that you follow to another position or someone that brings you up or vice versa. You can, you can do that to someone else that becomes your right-hand man. It's, it's so, it's, it's, it's so great to hear those stories because it's just not highlighted enough. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be incredibly valuable for, for people to hear that. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, <clears throat> for me, my, my degree is not even in engineering. My degree is in organizational dynamics, which is really just kind of a fancy way of saying HR. And the, what got me started in it was when I got out of the military, I was managing people making $7 an hour where the job wasn't their life. Maybe like in the data centers, you know, it's mission critical mindset. People know that it's a 24 seven, we're first responders. Where when people make seven or $8 an hour, maybe it doesn't mean as much to them. And bringing that sort of military training that I brought into that workspace didn't really work out that well initially. So I had to really learn how to reel it back and kind of channel some of that energy into the people side of it and use it, use it for good instead of evil. So, so if you did not get that call, where do you think would you would be today? 
I'd probably either be a lawyer and unhappy or actually a at the time, I had been given a job offer at White Supermarket, so I'd probably be a supermarket manager somewhere, which is crazy. With at least that's the master of law behind behind you, so I imagine you would have at least like continued that trip. Yeah, 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 and so yeah, so to continue that story too, when I was at AWS, I was there for a while and got a call from the recruiter at Corsair, and at the time. You know, it'd been seven years. I've worked with the same guy, great leader, of course. Everything was great. I, I loved AWS. The experience at Corsite is really what drew me to them. The vice president of operations at the time, he had flown in and the recruiter said, hey, could you meet with them? This is for a director role over at Corsite. And I had been a manager at AWS, and this was a big step up to get to that next director level role. And in that interview process, the vice president of operations said to me, he said, hey, I'll have something for you by the end of the day. And in my mind, I thought, no way. I'd interviewed at multiple data centers already. And to, for me, I thought, there's no way a vice president is going to take their time for someone that just interviewed at their company to give me some honest and true feedback by the end of the business day. Sure enough, that night, I got a phone call from him with a great offer. And I just, I was so astounded. And, and he even said, he said, hey, look, here's my personal cell. Here's my email. Call me anytime you need. And I, I signed on the dotted line that day. So I went there, was there for a few years, and then Kind of a similar story going to where I am now in Stack Infrastructure. I got a call from a recruiter and I met with Mike Casey, who is our chief data center officer. And when I went to interview with him, he was just a great guy. And actually, Nabil, you'll appreciate this. I walked into the data center for the interview and Dunner Roach was there. And I hadn't seen him since Digital Realty days because him and I worked together at Digital Realty. And it was just, I was like, wow, this company must be attracting some really great folks. So I met with, I said hi to Dunn. And then when I met with Mike, again, just maybe an hour interview, two weeks later, I was working there. Just a really great impression. I, I can't stress the interview process enough to people that are out there today looking for people. And and the other thing I think we should touch on is, you know, we're going to we're, we're gonna be speaking at Data Center World and like recruiting uh, on, the, on the topic of, you know, recruiting talent into our space and and how, you know, the, the mantra of just making sure somebody has a particular set of certifications or a particular skill set that is applicable to what they'll be doing on a day-to-day basis is is significantly less relevant than clicking just you know finding the passion the ability to critically think the ability to learn all that and it seems like the one thing that has followed you from from place to place is this idea of you know almost you know maybe diamond in the rough is the is is the wrong the wrong turn of phrase but they just saw something in you beyond you know, a particular skill set and, and, and you saw something in them beyond like, I want to be doing this on a day-to-day basis. I just want to be, you know, in this place. I just want to work with this team almost on a personal level. And I think there, there's, there's a lot of, there's a huge disconnect. I think I keep on harping on this between, you know, and life. We, the Beal talks about the, the, the life work balance. I am, you know, I'm a New Yorker. So work-life balance is the only thing we can do to pay the rent around here. And it's all about a perspective, but if you do what you love and you're surrounded by people that, you know, you like on a personal level, inherently you'll be more successful. And I think that's always missing. You know, people think of work as something you have to do to get through the day in order to pay the bills. And it doesn't really have to be that. I, I agree hundred percent. All of my best friends right now work in the data center industry. And a lot of them have even followed me from from job to job in a couple of cases and or have done the same with people that work for them. It's really, really rewarding. When you, when you look at 
especially in a place like Northern Virginia, the ripple effect that you can have in a leadership role here with as much as we've been growing. I only started in 2010, right? So to get where I am really just was meeting the right people, making those connections. Like you said, the kind of that diamond in the rough thing. When I started in this business, it was really full of a lot of trades folk. And like I said, the Navy nukes. And really, and I tell people this all the time, the only thing that really separated me from anybody else, because I'm not a trace person. I, I am like, I could fix a couple of things, but not like some of these people that are really, really skilled at it. And the difference was I just knew how to type. That was it. The, the, the industry evolved from, hey, we need somebody to replace the generator louver or troubleshoot this RTU to, hey, we have a CMMS program now and we need somebody that can type a mop and a technical procedure and actually execute it in the field. And those two skill sets are very, very different. I, I tell people all the time they want to get into this industry, especially when they're in the construction field. Even though you might work in the pit at NASCAR, that doesn't make you a driver and vice versa. And it's not that those skills can't make you good at driving, right? If you look at movies like Ford versus Ferrari, of course, there is some advantage to knowing the ins and outs of how a car works, but it really is a transition in mindset there. And, and it's important that people understand that. So you came in from an HR background, given an opportunity and in the current capacity that you're in, it's a significantly technical role. On top of it, you're teaching at Northern Virginia Community College for the ENE 195. Well, we mentioned this. TJ is an adjunct professor. Exactly. It should be Professor TJ. So yeah. the, question, the question I have for you, TJ, is not from being from the industry, yet putting yourself in a position that you're an adjunct professor and teaching at Northern Virginia and being one of the most technical people, how, how did you go about learning and uh, progressing to, to where you're at? What was the driving factor? And also, how do you keep up with the constant evolution and change that uh, we are living in? So there, there's a, there's a lot, of, lot of sides to answering that question. How I learned myself is really, and, and I would recommend this for anybody entering the business, writing mops and doing technical writing was the best way for me to learn and get ahead in what I did because it is the backbone to a lot of the work that takes place in a data center. And if you have to write it, and then if you have a boss that loves to make you revise it because it's not good enough, that is a great person to have in your corner, even though you might hate it at the time. But one of the other kind of like side notes to what you said it made me think about was, you know, how did I evolve this into teaching, right? That's kind of the new, the new thing that I'm doing now. I've been doing it for four and a half years. I was kind of swindled into it, if we boil it down. There's a gentleman named, named Jim Leach, who I worked with formerly at Raging Wire, who called me up one day and said, hey, let's get a cup of coffee. And I said, okay. So I met with him and we're chatting and he's, he's a great, great guy if you've never met him before. And at the end of the conversation, he just says, hey, you know, I think you'd be a great teacher. And I said, oh, thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. And he said, well, by the way, I'm starting this initiative with Northern Virginia Community College, and I'd love for you to meet with them and potentially see what they're doing over there. And I said, sure. So I went to go meet with them. And when I met with them, they said, we would love to hire you to create a curriculum for this data center program we're creating. We'll hire you as a contractor for $80 an hour. And, you know, will you do it? And I said, I'll do it on one condition. I said, you hire me and my wife both at $40 an hour because she was a school teacher at the time. And I know the, the technical side, but I do not have the time to do all the admin behind it, nor do I have the, the training to do so. And they said, so, and so her and I worked on this entire curriculum for several months. And then when I turned in all the curriculum, they said, all right, now we need somebody to teach it. Can you do that too? 
And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't have time to do this. And I know from knowing a lot of teachers and having a lot of friends that are teachers, that it, it's almost like when you're a coach, but you're not in for the money, right? You're just in it there for the effect. And over the last four years, it, it, it is just as rewarding as my day job. It is really, really rewarding to see how it's grown. What, 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 what's so rewarding about it? What do you like about it? So in the first three and a half years of the program, we had approximately 45 students and close to 90% of them are working in the data center field right now. And that's amazing. And, you know, Northern Virginia as a whole, as a county, the demographic really lends itself to, you know, to be blunt, middle-aged white guys, you know, that's kind of how it is around here. But the demographic of the normal Northern Virginia Community College student isn't that, you know, in some cases it's people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people where English might not be their first language that are really looking for an opportunity. Several of my students, one of them worked at Starbucks, you know, prior to getting into the data center industry, one of them was a security guard somewhere. You know, a couple of them were, you know, they were staying at home with their kids looking for work. One or two were high school students. A couple of them relocated to the area. One was in real estate. One had just retired from the military. So it's amazing to see like all these different backgrounds and to know that it's, they grow and proliferate in the business that I, I had a small piece of that. Outstanding. Just on that note, we'll be actually publishing uh, TJ's ebook on college and data center at the Nomad Futures platform. TJ, you've got a plethora of skills and you are a very talented individual teaching. Golly, in itself, that's, that's amazing. If you were to summarize two or three core skills that you've developed over your entire career in life, what would those be? We may have to edit this part while I think about this. You know, one, you got to have some level of technical ability in this job. Really, there's, there's an aptitude piece to it for sure. But that could be grown. You don't necessarily need it right away. But, but a dedication to the craft is definitely important. I think the second thing, and I find this probably to be the most important, is there's a, there's a debate a lot of times about whether leaders are born or if they're made. And I am a firm believer that leaders are made. So I've really tried to become over the last five or six years a student of leadership, whether it be books or finding the right mentor or finding people that can push you to the next level. So, so important that you have that. If I can give a thousand examples of how good leaders make such a big difference on a team versus one that's not great. Uh, a third skill is really embracing the idea. And this is kind of just industry specific here is that there isn't just a mold as to who can fit in this industry. I feel like maybe 10 years ago, I think that there was, or at least that was the perception that there was. And it's really not true. It's, it's just amazing how much the, you know, the demographic and the diversity and inclusion initiatives have changed what it really looks like here. And there's also such a wide breadth of, of, of requirements. It's, a, it's almost a macrocosm of every other vertical, right? There's a legal component to our industry. There's obviously a real estate component to our industry. There are plenty of trades, every single one of them. There's not one that is not represented at some point in our industry, obviously on the sales side, solutions engineering, marketing. It's just, it's, it's, never, it's never ending. And I don't think, I think people think of the data center industry and they think of, you know, an HVAC technician or they think of someone plugging, you know, a, a, a keyboard and a monitor into a server. And it's so much more than that, that, you know, and, and it's never highlighted, which is why, you know, the industry grows at this kind of bizarre pace because a lot of, you know, what, what goes on in the industry is 
is is known by a fairly small amount of people. I think the Beal always uses the phrase, it's the largest, smallest industry. You walked into Raging Wire and you saw someone that that you had worked with before. That is that is insane. You didn't work with them in Virginia. So just the notion that you just walked into someone, you know, I, if I were in Honolulu last week, I would have recognized a bunch of faces. Okay, that's a different story. It's 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 an incredibly diverse industry, both in terms of, you know, the, the, the people that we want to, to, to get involved and in terms of the involvement you can have and, 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 you know, passion time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had to do a, I was a speaker at a veterans event maybe a year and a half ago. And one of the other things I learned about that when I, when I was giving my speech was, you know, you talked about running into people, you know, at various places, but it really comes down to it. Isn't it you know, a lot of people say, it's all about who you know. But for me, I kind of like to twist that a bit and say, it's all about who knows you, right? As you're looking for next opportunity, a lot of times if you're good enough, especially in this industry, the opportunities will find you. You're gonna build up your reputation. You're gonna build up your brand. And there's so many network events and so many ways that people are connected that who knows you would make a much bigger difference in your career, especially if that's a good thing. If it's not a good thing, yeah, you got you got to embrace your voice, be yourself, and be the real you, and 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 speak out. You can't be actually hiding in the back and and thinking things are just going to happen. For the kids that you're engaged with, you mentioned they come from different backgrounds, and data center is not really a priority, even though the university is potentially pushing that or marketing that to the generation that's there. What's the driving factor for those kids to to be even interested in exploring this as an option? Well, if I could put a finger on it, it'd probably be the fact that it pays much better than a lot of four-year degrees around at the door. Really, that that's really the initial draw. Of course, then when you speak to them, you try to drive the mission critical mindset. You know, is this is this something that you want to do that if you just want a regular job, you can go do a bunch of these other things. But if you want a career and if you want something where you could, like you had mentioned before, Phil, where you're not just an HVAC technician, there is a legal side and a sales side and an engineering side and all these other things to it that people from the outside just don't know. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like I'm super privileged to teach at the school is at the school, I'm the only one that works in a data center that actually teaches there. So when they get to my class, which I'm very, very thankful that it's most of the time, the first class that they get to teach is I get to express that mission critical mindset and the idea of what it's really like to work there right from day one. Not everybody makes, not everybody comes back for week two, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and let's not forget about HR as well, right? That's where you started your career. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah. And, 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 and end up being one of the technical guys. <clears throat> so looking at the state that we are in with current COVID-19, we've been at it for a couple of years now, and it's totally transformed our life. How has it personally and professionally affected you and what you do? You know, it's really something that was sort of unprecedented before COVID happened. Everybody had their own pandemic plan or not pandemic, but their, their, their BCP plan, their business continuity plans. But it was always, you know, when is this really going to happen? Of course, we review it, we drill on it, all that other kind of thing. And this was like a whole nother level. At Stack, we created a multi-tiered pandemic plan. And that plan was really accepted well by clients and vendors and even internal employees. It, I thought when it first rolled out, we may get a lot of resistance to it. You know, you got to wear a mask and you got to come through a separate entrance and you have to use different restrooms. And and there was even a staffing portion that was like, how many people do you keep on site? And I thought maybe it'd be a big headache because people don't like change. But really, this was something that it seemed like everybody was able to get behind. And, and the other good part was all the providers were doing something, right? Whether, like I said, whether it was learning how to work remotely or learning how to 
you know, minimally staff or what to do if somebody, you know, catches COVID and then there's an exposure at the site. Do you fly people in? Like, you know, what do you do? And it was a lot of learning, a lot, a lot of learning over the last And everyone at the same time. And that's the thing that's so ridiculous about it is like, uh, and we talked about this on some of the early podcasts, which, which kind of launched, um, like at, as, as an out at the outside of the pandemic is, you know, it, it almost brought everyone together in this mindset that everyone is so disruptive at the same time in a way that, you know, an acute weather event or something that, you know, impacts a particular power grid. It's just never been, the world has never been so connected and, you know, so, so have such a kind of, you know, common disruption simultaneously where everyone has this kind of shared experience that, that they've all had to uh, kind of manipulate their lives in order to adjust to. Yeah. And then, you know, the other driving factor behind that then is we all knew as data center professionals, that data centers were going to continue to grow, especially the the rate that data is growing. But this really kind of brought that to the forefront. If you look now at everybody's buying data center space, everybody's migrating to the cloud or, you know, hyperscalers are building wherever they can get it because everyone needs it. Everyone needs it. It's really forced us to say, hey, we need to increase the infrastructure, you know, globally to make sure we can continue to support things like this. Yeah, I think it's certainly actually brought forth whereby, you know, you, you talked about data center, you talked about being in the industry two years ago, we were the Oz, right? And now everybody's talking about it. We are the, we, we are the connection that's kept some sort of a sanity in the world. What are some of the positives in your current capacity that you think uh, COVID and, and this remote workforce or work from host or digital transformation that uh, has happened in the last two years? What are some of the positive impacts that we are currently experiencing? I think some of the positive impacts of what we're experiencing, and maybe I'll just boil it down to the to the actual workforce itself, is it has forced data center providers to get better at being able to remotely look at what it is they're doing. Right? You, there was a time maybe where you could get away with local monitoring only, right? And maybe you didn't think about the solution of of the ability of you and your clients to be able to see into your data center from the outside. And this really forced a lot of people to, to do that. You know, we did it and many of our competitors did it. And it's just kind of made that evolve really quick. You know, as they say, necessity breeds in innovation. And that's exactly what happened. This was something that came really quick that required quick change. It, it's funny when I think about how quickly things are changing. The fact that two years ago this all started and we already have a vaccine, and I'm not here to debate the efficacy of it. I know people have their opinions on it, but the fact that there's even anything that exists that can help in less than two years is amazing. And the fact that you can now, you know, keep spoons on your chest because it makes you into a magnet is also. (laughs) That's exactly right. So what would be some of the biggest hurdles in the current state then? And, And what are some of your strategic focuses? There's really just, to me, it just boils down to two, and those are labor and supply chain. It's a much easier discussion about supply chain, of course. Hopefully it's transient and everybody starts to catch up, but that was definitely brought on by the pandemic, along with the surge of demand. So it was almost like a perfect storm, right? And then the labor part, and people have been actually talking about this for years, especially places like the Plan Institute, is you know, there's 2 million people that work in the data center business now, approximately. And that number is going to grow to about 2.2 million over the next five years. So not taking anybody leaving the industry or retiring, we're going to need 10% more people or 200,000 people over the next five years. And if we're not doing something about it to grow now, 
it either means data centers aren't going to succeed or each of us is going to have to do a lot more work, which that is not fun for anyone. Even that sounds like a pretty, pretty conservative estimate, given the amount of construction that's going on. Obviously, it takes into account the, you know, the ability to automate some processes that, you know, you might not have been able to automate a little, a uh, little while ago. It's one of the reasons why you as a professor, us with, you know, our attempt to get the word out about the existence of our industry, which people, you know, tended not to focus on unless, you know, TikTok wasn't available for 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 five minutes and then the world was ending. And it's so important for us to, to bring you blood into our industry. The other issue with us working all the time, I don't know about you, but I'm getting more and more gray hairs. It's eventually our generation that just found this industry when this industry started is going to start the cycle out. And, you know, if you did a percentage of like where those 2 million people are and you broke it down by generation, you know, the industry is kind of, you know, a little bit skewed towards, you know, us older folks. I can't believe an older folk, but it, it, it can't be that way. We, we need to focus not only on on growing, but on 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 being a viable uh, career choice for uh, all the reasons that we we continue to articulate. And certainly you do so well in your professorship. Is that what I call it? To bring to bring younger folks in. Yeah, and I, I like the way you, you try to parry around calling us, you know, older folks. I prefer the term seasoned veteran, but that's fine. Yes, yes, of course, of course. I can't, I, I, I'm not seasoned. It's just, I, I look old because it's bald. But <laughs> you know, and, and that, you know, that brings up one of the challenges we face today is, you know, why, why don't data center courses exist everywhere, right? The demand's high, the pay is amazing and getting better. It really, what I've seen is the challenge is, Local community colleges either think, A, there's not enough local data centers to make a program sustainable, which if people are relocatable, it is. But I do see the point given there. You know, the other point is just people in these educational areas don't know what a data center is. You know, so we're doing tours all the time for in our various markets of the local community college to say, hey, this is a program you can do. And here's here's what you need to do to get there. And, and there's also kind of a there's kind of a sizable dollar wise barrier to entry. Like we have a, we have a data center lab at the Northern Virginia community college and it wasn't cheap to put together. There's an old saying that those that can't do teach in the data center world, everyone's doing. So it's really difficult. You have found the time of the day because you have recognized that articulating your experience is cathartic. It makes you feel better about it. Frankly, I, I, I do it to whoever I walk in on the street because you know, nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about. So you, 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 I need to bring more people into my little sphere so that, you know, it's not all, I'm not talking about the weather and, and Dr. Fauci all the time. So no. it just, it, I, I think there's just not that many people that can teach, practically speaking, what's going on in a data set. Yeah, it's, kind of, a, it's kind of a double-edged story there. There's not a lot of people that can teach it. And then when you offer somebody you know, X dollar amount to go teach when in reality they're making Y dollar amount. Right. Much greater than that. I mean, who's who's going to take the time to do that? And it, what's great is the college has been amazing at sourcing now a lot of grants from the government or NSF, you know, the National Science Foundation to try to bring people that are in the industry and maybe make like an endowed professorship or something along those lines so that there are more people that are in the industry available to teach. Yeah, and no, I think another part of the reason, like Phil mentioned, it's like we're all stuck in, in what we're doing. Our jobs are 24-7, 365. If there is a drawback to what we do for a living, we are connected 24-7, 365. Having said that, for the younger generation, you know, this industry has evolved significantly. And, you know, the last 10 years have been 
evolutionary. The last two years have actually totally changed the world. And that's just breaking the ice, in my opinion. When you look at what's going on, what are some of the most prominent areas that, you know, stand out for you and are uh, driving your personal curiosity? You know, we talked a lot earlier about, you know, bringing diverse roles into the data center. So that's something that really gets me pumped kind of in the role I am. I'm in, you know, I think one of the other things about this industry that's changing most right now is companies' vested interest in renewable energy sources. You know, that that really diverts away from kind of the labor thing we were talking about, but seeing how many people are moving into solar and wind and all sorts of different renewable energy sources, I, I think it's going to be a great innovation, but I also think it's going to be one of our next biggest challenges. I understand the idea of renewable energy credits, which does support the whole thing. And I'm glad that we have kind of that conduit between when the technology exists and is available versus, you know, what we have now to, to get there. And I think we're going to find ourselves quickly in a place where we want it, want it, want it faster than we have it. And how, well, what are some of the technologies that you are personally excited about? Well, everybody talks about 5G and autonomous cars, right? That's like kind of like the big thing. And, you know, I, I do, I know I saw some of the things here where, you know, I am an early adopter of technology, but unfortunately it doesn't say Sekonia on the door. It says stack, right? So I can't make decisions, but I can tell you the company yeah, doesn't say Sekonia yet. It's, the company is very interested in a lot of the technical innovations out there. We've learned a lot recently about HBO, right? For generators, instead of having to use dirty, dirty, what I consider dirty road, road diesel, pink guy diesel. There's a lot of talk about, you know, hydrogen fuel cells. There's a lot of talk about battery storage, you know, data centers without generators. One of the other things I'm working on, there's a company out there <clears throat> called UCAP, which stands for ultra capacitor, which right now for most data centers, they install, you know, two sets of 12 volt batteries, you know, typically these wet cell batteries that are going to start your gen when needed and they're replaced every couple of years and these ultra capacitors are smaller footprint they're slightly more expensive but can last 20 to 25 years and perform the same function so better for the environment smaller footprint less capital expense for data centers and, and, and even though it might sound small could you imagine you revolutionize this one thing in the entire data center industry well that certainly addresses the climate change and global warning issue <laughs> or at least gets us closer to being a little bit more of a carbon neutral industry. Yeah, whatever it is, all of those things. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't have to be a big change. It can be small changes at a time, especially in an industry that now is becoming so dominant where so much of this material is needed. No question about it. You know, the the idea of carbon footprint is, is it's important in our industry for so many different reasons. Obviously, we're a huge, uh, we're a huge power user and it's only becoming, it's only becoming bigger and people are, are, are now looking at it. It's, I, I think, you know, history is going to look back on, you know, how we design data centers now. And, you know, we've already probably reached that tipping point, but they're going to look at data centers. They're going to look at cryptocurrency, things like that as, you know, things that we did that accelerated some of the issues that we already knew about. And there's also, you know, there's a financial incentive given that power is one of the primary costs of operating a data center. So, you know, how do you go about bridging that, that divide between the, the, you know, potential cost savings of renewables, you know, forget about, you know, offsets and, and all those things which are really just financial incentives to move in that direction. But do you think there's an issue associated with the potential disruption of retrofitting all the data centers that that 
that, you know, are being built today that have been built over the last 20 years. Data centers have a pretty significant life cycle. I, I have been in data centers that were commissioned, you know, long before anybody wants to admit, and they're still functioning as data centers using a lot of that kind of legacy infrastructure. How do we, how do we address that kind of issue? You know, it's funny you say that. I, I actually studied this not too long ago, but back when Obama was president, he put out an edict that all government-based data centers had to reach a certain level of efficiency within X amount of years. And you see a lot now of government data centers migrating into either the cloud or independent providers that are meeting these efficiency goals. So, you know, th these wheels were set in motion years ago. Yeah, I've seen already, whether it's DC government or whether it's CIA or FBI or wherever needs to move out of where they are because they are running these legacy data centers where their PUE is sky high and they're not really, the, the density is not there. I remember when I started in this industry, the, the density of a typical data center was around 100 to 150 watts a square foot. And now they're doing three, 400 watts a square foot, which is just incredible. But that allows you, that, that sort of increase in density allows you to replace a lot of the older technology with newer, more efficient stuff. UPS is now, even at under 50% loading can get close to 98, 99% efficiency where that wasn't the case just a decade ago. So based on your experience, it's about roughly about 10 years, give or take, right? So, I mean, a 4X growth just in densities, where do you think we will be in the next five to 10 years? You know, I, I'm, I've been reading a lot more, even though I'll probably get outskilled in this area in no time about liquid immersion cooling. You probably see a lot of whether it's water or dielectric coolant and at first, when I first thought about it, I thought, wow, a computer sitting in liquid, that just doesn't seem to compute for me, right? And, but I see it becoming more and more prevalent where it's, it's not really using up a lot of resources. It's super efficient. You don't need all of the infrastructure associated with cooling the data centers like we have now. And I, I could see that as a growing trend. You know, I, I don't know. There's so many computers out there with such a lower density that it's going to take probably years to get there. But Think about anything in your life that you might have said it's going to take years to from to get from point A to point B that it did not. One of one of the things I tell the students all the time is, ninety five percent of all data created in all of humankind was done in the last two years, and that's just an incredible stat. And this just, and that's just on the Kardashian social media. So many science fiction movies present a dark vision of the future. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of humanity? You know. I am very optimistic about the future. Hum humans as a whole have proven to be very smart. Maybe there's a few that are exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, you know, humans as a species are very smart. Yeah, and like I mentioned earlier, as they say, necessity breeds, it breeds invention. You know, look how people have evolved in just the last two or three decades. In the 1980s, the internet didn't exist. Think about all the major companies today. You know, one of the facts I like to all, if you think back just 25 years ago, there was no Amazon, no Facebook, no Snapchat, no Tinder, no TikTok, no Vine. All these other, you know, none of these did exist, no Pinterest. If you imagine you could go back 30 years and tell someone just 30 years ago that long distance calls are going to be free in like the next five years, right? Or that you wouldn't have a home phone anymore, or that a company that is basically a bookstore and a guy named Steve Jobs are going to kind of come out with things that are going to replace maps, watches, GPS, TV, libraries, and your Walkman. Because I love my Walkman. I didn't want to give it up. But hey, so really, I, I'm very optimistic about the future. There's so much science about, you know, where we can go. And the fact that we had three private entities launch themselves into space this year, that's incredible. Exactly.
So now, since you're on, on, on the Nomad Futures podcast, you're going to have to make a futures prediction. You had briefly mentioned uh, autonomous vehicles and 5G. What are some of the other technologies that you are interested in learning more about and or will encourage the younger generation to look into? Hadn't given that one a lot of thought before you asked me that question. You know what I see becoming a thing, and maybe it's just because I unfortunately downloaded TikTok not too long ago, and I, <laughs> I, I do, and it's a good question. If I had, if I had your hair, I would have downloaded TikTok a long time ago also, but nobody wants to think <laughs> that. The, I see a lot now with the metaverse. It, it, and I don't know, it's either going to be something that sizzles out, maybe, but there's a lot of movies that are very similar in that sense. You know, even dating back to Total Recall, right? It kind of reminds me of that one. And then there's Ready Player One, which is fairly new, where it's funny because the pandemic, as much as there is some silver lining to that cloud, it also kind of accelerated the idea that we don't like to interact with each other in some sense, even though I think inherently, instinctively, we all do. Even since the invention of the, like the AirPods or, or Walkmans, right? People walk around with like buds in their ear or whatever it is. And it's funny because I read a stat once I said in New York City, kind of feel where, where you are up there, it said more than 50% of people admit to not even playing anything in them. They just don't want anybody to talk to them. Right. So when you, when you talk about something like, so when you talk about the metaverse or Oculus or all that and how it relates to NFTs and cryptocurrency, that could really be a thing. So if I was going to make a five-year prediction, I think money as we know it today will be all digital and cash will be a thing of the past. Sounds like the Matrix to me, right? Everyone's just going to be plugged in. And then, you know, a couple keystrokes to become a Kung Fu master. I kind of like exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so basically the world of the future is minority. And, and hold on to you and, and hold on to your Bitcoin. Exactly. Yeah. Keep, 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 keep those tokens. <laughs> yeah. 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 Even though if I, I'd be happier if I would have said that a week ago, Bitcoin, I guess, hasn't been. It is not, uh, Bitcoin is not looking good right now, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to make those types of predictions. There's no question about it. I guess we'll have to have you back on in, uh, in five years to see if any of that stuff has come through, come true. Yeah. Who knows what, who knows what podcast will be five years from now. It'd be, it would be a personalized, humanized, virtual experience. That's right. That being said, I'm telling you, I wasn't at PTC. Uh, the bill was just at, you know, PTC in Honolulu. There is something about this kind of digital world that we've lived in for the last two years on Zoom calls and and, and Teams and, and, and whatever, that when people see each other in person, it's like the most special occasion in the world. It's like we've been able to recreate the best part of weddings and bar mitzvahs and, and birthday parties and and these networking events have have been, have. have like gotten a new like attention and importance because we're we, there is a part of us. I know that we're inherently spiritual beings and I know that New Yorkers don't like anybody to talk to them when they're walking in the street, but we want to be three, like not Oculus version 3D. We want to be 4D. We want to feel that person spit on our cheek when they're talking to us. Well, maybe not that, but there's just something about it that is, has made the, the, the in-person events, ultra special. Yeah, you cannot beat that human and the emotional element. I don't think that there's going to be ever, I shouldn't say ever, <laughs> be a technology or a platform that can actually create the human and emotional uh, element to... There is, I'm sure. I'm sure Musk will come up with it, but my God. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's funny, it's funny that you all say that because at the school, I get asked all the time if I could teach virtually. You know, how do I make what I do virtual? And part of the reason I'm just resistant to it is to make that connection with the students face to face. When you're teaching something like, you know, UPS double conversion theory or the basic refrigeration cycle, 
this this is not for me the media for it. There's probably people much smarter than me that can do a much better job at it. But when I'm trying to check people's understanding and just seeing the frustration or lack thereof when they're learning or if their eyes kind of space off, you don't get that here. No, no question. It's, so, it's, so, it's, it's very easy to just shake your head and move on when, you know, you're virtual. And it's a lot easier to follow up. And, and you know, the other issue that you have is that they're just... I saw, I saw when my kids were doing virtual school, it's just there, there's a huge disparity in internet connectivity that make it impossible. You spend the entire time, even as a small Zoom call, like, 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 you're going to have to edit that part out, but just choppiness and, you know, an inability to, to act, like effectively communicate. And you put that on children or people trying to learn things and learn things. And it just, it, it manifests itself in frustration. Even if it's not outward frustration, it's just an inability. You just close off because what the hell's the point? It's like, I feel when I hear, when I like call American Express and hear the automated system, I'm just like, I'm human, human. And it just, <laughs> get me somebody to talk to. TJ, so as we bring this to a close, you've, you've got uh, a great story, a great career, and you're doing phenomenal things and especially educating the younger generation and, and encouraging to come out of our space. Based on what you know today and all of your experiences, the trials and tribulations, the journey that you've had, what are some of the key things that stand out for you for your personal success? And if there is anything different that you would do, what would that be? I think if I could <clears throat> maybe talk to myself eight or nine years ago, it, it would, I would have said something like, make relationships more of a priority than results. And it's honestly still a lesson I'm working on today. I, I'm a big believer in results, but really what I'm finding is, especially as I'm moving up to each level, people are way more important than the, than the deliverables. You know, there, there's a lot to be said for moving forward and there's a lot to be said for accomplishing things. But if I, if I think about the people that are the most successful, they're the ones who are, where people just simply say, it's a great guy. Very well said. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, TJ. It's been phenomenal to get to know you on a personal basis and look forward to seeing you in person in a couple of weeks. It was great. And I look forward to maybe dropping another class if I'm, uh, if I'm in the area. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back. Currencies will rebound. Businesses will go on and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.